smartphone, DSTV Channel 856 and on 92.7 and 106 FM. This is 702. Right, we are now at six minutes past five. If you have just joined us, a very good morning to you. My name is Errol Ballantyne, and it is early morning breakfast on Saturday, the 10th of December. Don't forget, there is Sevens Rugby on today um, and tomorrow, and South Africa, we're playing Cape Town. South Africa are going to win this leg as well. Yes, of course we are, aren't we? Yes, we won last week. We can win again. It's going to be very exciting stuff. So that is uh, on this particular morning. It's, I think our first game is at 9.30 or 10 o'clock around there, uh, maybe a bit later, 11. But just check your check the schedules, and then the next game will be sometime this afternoon. So welcome to the program if you've just joined us. It is time for our health and well-being hour. And uh, this particular hour, we're joined on the line from Cape Town by a clinical psychologist who's been with us before, but it was about a year ago, Dr. Carrie corbett Owen. Good morning to you, Carrie. Good morning, Errol, and I'm not a doctor. Sorry. Re- <laughs> yeah, rewind. We're not qualified, we still had masters. Rewind. Right. <laughs> Carrie, <laughs> clinical psychologist Carrie corbett Owen. So thank you for joining us again. It's been a while, Carrie, a year or so. Exactly. Thank mm. you for having me, Errol. Excellent. Now, just to explain to listeners, Carrie is um, uh, South African, but you, she doesn't, you don't live here, Carrie. You're visiting. No, we live in America at the moment. Yes. Uh, and you have a private practice in America. What do you do? No, actually, my degree isn't recognized in America. Oh. And so I do some online work. Um, I do some group work and... I really practice more as a health strategist than a psychologist. Okay, and I see author and filmmaker is added to your uh, list as well. Tell us about those. Yeah, so I'm the author of three books, um, two in the mind of the Fatter series, which is what most people know me for, and then also Mum Pass the Broccoli, which is all about how to get children to eat healthily. And um, What's it called, Mum Pass the Broccoli? Yes. I love that. I love that. And and that's well, it must be quite difficult to it is difficult. I mean having had kids, there are certain things they just will not eat. Well, you know, it's amazing how they will not eat things, but how there are so many ways to actually help them eat things. For example, if they see peers eating something that they won't eat, um, they're much more likely to eat it. If they help parents prepare food, they're much more likely to eat what they've helped parents prepare, for example. That's interesting. What happens if they have never tasted something and they look at something on the plate and they say, I don't love that? What, what do you do? <laughs> well, I think it's always you know, good to allow people choice. Yes. And to say, you know, don't don't just give up on it the first time. Mm. And, you know, the other thing with children is that they love games. So sometimes to present food in a way that looks like a picture or looks like something quirky. For example, you know, one of the things that we used to do in our groups was to make salad faces. So children would get to select, like, lettuce and olives and whatever and make their own face, and they would very often eat the whole face whereas they would never have touched lettuce or broccoli which became hair or something like that. How interesting. Okay, so there is there is a way around. But that's another topic. We're not talking about that today <laughs> before we get distracted. All right, so the title of today's uh, topic um, is probably called Cracking Your Body's Health Code. And it's 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 all about 
um, how we hold in our hands the power to change how often we need medical services. It's about thinking. It's about positive thinking. It's about the consequence of of negative thinking um, and, and what you can do to make your body a healthier place to, to live in. Uh, Carrie? Yes, and you know, it's also about the power of possibility because so often, you know, we think that what we know is the truth and 100% accurate. And when we do that, what we do is we learn, very, we learn things very mindlessly. And then we have very little motivation to ever sort of go back and check that what we were taught is actually accurate. And so we tend to become quite closed-minded and sort of hone in on what we believe and look for evidence to prove that what we believe is right rather than staying open-minded and saying, gosh, that's interesting. That's different than what I believe. Let me explore that a little more. All right, uh, let's give the numbers out, 011-883-0702, or you can SMS on 31702. Uh, you can join the conversation at any time. We're talking to Carrie Corbett-Owen. Um, any, can we extend the discussion to, to things like uh, this particular time of year, how we're, there are some people and so many people who are all alone and who are feeling very negative and who are feeding themselves with these thoughts about, I'm all alone, nobody loves me, nobody wants me, uh, what am I going to do? I can't cope. Can we extend yes. to that kind of discussion as well? Yes. You know, one of the things that I want to tell listeners when it comes to health is that um, what researchers have found, it's actually more important to have people to love than for us to even feel loved. And so this is a great time of the year if you're alone to volunteer, to reach out to other people and do something for someone else because it will always make you feel better. They they use this as a kind of a therapy, don't they, in, in a lot of cases, exactly what you're saying, go out and help somebody else. And it, it kind of puts your own issues into a different perspective um, where you can begin to appreciate the little things that you do have as opposed to the things that other people don't have. Yeah, Eric, you know, you are so right there. The power of gratitude is enormous. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the HeartMath Institute um, down in Boulder, Colorado. No. I'm sorry, they've actually moved to California. But um, the HeartMath Institute has looked at the, inf- the impact of gratitude on how it changes how our heart beats. And what scientists are now realizing is that heart rate variability, in other words, the variations between how often your heart beats, is much more important because in the old days they used to think that having a regular heartbeat was what really was important. And when they put people on a heart rate variability monitor and they ask them to think about things that they are grateful for, what happens is that an incoherent heartbeat becomes a very regular, um, what, what's known as almost like a sine wave, you know, very undulating and very regular, and it actually calms down everything in the nervous system, which improves your, um, how your salivary IgA is produced, how your immune system actually um, functions. And so gratitude in itself is a really important health measure. But isn't it difficult then, although, the, I mean, the theory is, is, is great and, and so on, isn't it difficult for somebody who is in dire straits to find the happiness place 
in inside them, especially when everybody else seems to be so happy. How, how do you, yeah. how do they find that? I mean, you know, you can think, you could say to somebody, you, you must be happy or you mm-hmm. must feel positive. And it's like saying to somebody, you must get thin. You, you know, wh- how, how do they find that spot inside them when it's yeah. so much is against you them? Know, you know, something like gratitude isn't something you just do when you need to do it. You almost need to build up the neural wiring of gratitude. So start now and start a gratitude diary. Write down just three things every day that you're grateful for, even if it's just that you woke up and breathed. Because remember that you know, even if you wake up and you're like, oh my God, this is another day, just turn to the obituaries column and there are thousands and thousands of people who would gladly swap places with you. And so, you know, it's a matter of actually developing the neural wiring, and you do that by small acts over time that are repeated. Interesting. You know, I came across a saying the other day that that really kind of resonated and said, don't be concerned about getting older. It's a privilege not afforded to many. Exactly. And I love that. Exactly. It, It really is. You know, Eric, I think that what we forget as well is just, the glory of waking up to, you know, breathing. We, we sometimes underestimate how thin the, li- the line is between life and death. You know, it's just a matter of an intake of air that actually keeps us alive. And so just gratitude for your breathing. And, and the other thing that we tend to do is, you know, we tend to live in the past and look at all the things that went wrong in the past. And we tend to sort of look forward, for example, to Christmas and then catastrophize instead of just living in the present moment and saying, you know, right now in this moment, you know, how am I in this moment? Mm-hmm. And so we're living in the past and we're living in the present, but we actually aren't living the only moment that we have. It's it's difficult very often to get rid of the past and not hang on to it and say it's done, it's finished. You can't change it at all. Uh, mm-hmm. What you've got, and you don't know what's happening tomorrow. You've only got what is now, and to make the best of now. That that's the best kind of theory, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, Eric, one of the things that we have to remember about something like let's say forgiveness. You know, for someone that has has hurt you, it's not about the other person. It's about freeing yourself from allowing somebody else to change your heart and harden your heart in a way that you wouldn't want to. Because what you're doing by holding on to something is they may have hurt you, but you're the one keeping it alive. And so if you want to free yourself, it's about forgiving for yourself. It's not saying the other person, it's okay, whatever the other person did. All it's doing is saying, I release you for my benefit. Yeah, I just got an SMS from somebody that says helping others uh, gives the person a sense that they are not alone. And yes. That, yeah, how true is that? And not only that they're not alone, but it gives people a sense of purpose. And it can start a whole new life for people when they realize that, gosh, when I do something for other people, I feel good. And so if you're in a really bad cycle, one of the fastest ways to get out of that cycle is to take the focus of you and put the focus on someone else. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Um, listeners, if you want to join us, you can join the conversation at any time. If there are questions you want to put to carry about, maybe one of those people who at this time of frivolity and joy and holidays and families and get-togethers and you feel excluded from that uh, and you're finding difficulty in dealing with it, maybe your family are away, maybe you're uh, you know, all by yourself, give us a call, 011-883-0702, or you could SMS on 31702. Um, Carrie, we were talking, uh, you, in one of your comments, you were talking about there is convincing evidence that the way our brains are wired has a lot to do with how much stress we experience. So we're all in a, in, in a stress zone, aren't we? Uh, particularly in a year like this when so much has been happening and, and people are losing jobs and uh, looking for jobs and money is tight and we're supposed to right. you know, be, be all happy and cheerful. So how, how do we get to the point where our brains are wired? How do they get wired? Is it hereditary? <laughs> is that how we are and you can't change it? Oh, you can, you, Errol, let me just start off by saying that the absolutely fantastic news is that our brain never, ever stops growing and changing. So it's called neuroplasticity, and, you know, we didn't really know this 10 years ago, but with things like MRIs and CAT scans, as, um, CAT scans and PET scans, what they can now see is how the brain functions in real life time and what happens, and every single thing that we do is changing a part of our brain, everything, even if it's very small. So, for example, um, they did research with London um, taxi drivers, Now, London taxi drivers, before they are are able to become a taxi driver, it takes them two to four years to memorize something like 20,000 sort of peripheral roads, 600 main routes, and 25,000 landmarks within a six-mile radius of Charing Cross. Hmm. And what they found is that the gray matter of the London taxi cab driver, the hippocampus has grown exponentially and changed in structure and function just because of that learning that they've done. Um, so we are continually changing our brain and that, that's really great news because no matter what your belief system is, um, you can change a belief system. It's just a matter of doing it enough times because our neural wiring is, I, I'd like to equate it almost to a river with a lot of tributaries. So we have main ideas, for example, you know, very strong belief systems about certain things. Mm. For example, I'm not good enough. And you'll have lots of little peripheral tributaries sort of feeding into that main belief. But the problem is that once we're wired with a belief, we almost distort information to actually fit our belief. And what we don't see is all the belief that stands in, all the stuff that stands in stark evidence to what it is that we believe. And so it's also a practice to look for the alternative story, which is, which is hard to do because we aren't trained to do it. Mm. But we can train ourselves to do it. That's the exciting part. Interesting. Let's go to the lines uh, and talk to Neville in Boxburg. Hi, Neville. Morning to you. Neville? Yes, I can hear you. Yes, go ahead. Can, can Carrie discuss Asperger's syndrome? And also, should the, the person who's got that problem recognize that they have a problem before they can be treated? Can I listen to the call on the phone yes, from the radio? Yes, of course. Asperger's Thank syndrome. Thanks, Neville. Did you get that, Carrie? 
I did. Hi, Neville. And, you know, I, w- w- I just want to say up front that I am absolutely not an expert on um, Asperger's disease. But, you know, I think that so often we look at something as a problem. And I, I just have a slightly different way of looking at things sometimes. And I think that sometimes it's also up to us to look at someone with Asperger's or whatever and say, where's the opportunity in this person? Where is the opportunity that I'm not seeing? Because very often people with Asperger's, one of their characteristics is that they bring to this world unbelievable gifts in very narrow areas. And so, you know, how do we help that person work in that very narrow area and develop that so that they can grow in self-confidence? Um, you know, I, I think we so often put people into little boxes and say, you know, you're Asperger's, you're bipolar, you're mm-hmm. this, you're that. And while diagnoses can help people a lot sometimes, they can also be very limiting and very defining, not only for that person, but for the person, you know, people around them who then only start seeing them as Asperger's. Mm. And again, you know, it goes back to what I was saying about how our brains are become wired. And, you know, sometimes once someone has been given the label, we see everything that they're doing in terms of that label instead of seeing, oh, my gosh, isn't it interesting that they do this which doesn't fit in with Asperger's and they do this which doesn't mm, fit mm. into Asperger's. So you take him out the little box. Yes, take them out the little box and try and, you know, thicken some of the good beliefs and thin, thin out some of the beliefs that actually keep them in a place that isn't healthy, you know, where they are fitting out rather than fitting in. Just listening to you, um, Carrie, just extends that in my brain to perhaps relationships as well, where you tend to say your partner, friend, whoever, a parent, um, is behaves in in this way x or y or z mm-hmm. or they are impatient or they are aggressive with but but perhaps one should start looking at maybe some of the other positive aspects of this particular individual in the relationship wouldn't that go some way to uh, perhaps building bridges and mending relationships Certainly would, Eric. You you know, you say something really valuable because especially when we've been in a relationship for a long time, what happens is that we get into a dance, you know, and I know that if I put my foot there, my partner's going to put their (laughs) foot there. And we go through the same old dance over and over. And sometimes what we have to do is, you know, take a different step and Break out the mold. (laughs) Exactly. And, And focus, as you say, you know, on what does this person do right? And try and remember, what was it that I loved about this person? You know, how do I go and search for that and then compliment them when they're doing that or, you know, just reinforce the behavior that I really like? Because what we tend to do sometimes is get into this old dance and then argue and bicker in a way that doesn't feel good to us or them about stuff that we have got focused in on and that's all we can see about them again. Somebody once said, and I... I, I use this phrase every now and again, you can change your whole way of life by changing your attitude of mind. That is, that is so true. You, you really can. If you change what, you know, what you're looking out for, which is really an attitude and a habit, because if you think about it, an attitude is just a habit of thought. Yes. So you know, if you change your thoughts, and you can do those one by one, eventually you build a new habit. And when you build a new habit of thought, you change an attitude. Somebody sent an SMS that says, Chopra put it that we are all in death row 
<laughs> that is, we can die at any time. Therefore, make the most of your time on this earth. How true is Absolutely. that? Absolutely. And you know something else that Deepak Chopra said that I love? Deepak Chopra said, your cells are eavesdropping on your thoughts. And so what you have to remember when you, for example, focusing on the negatives, is that your cells are hearing that at a cellular level, and you're changing your biochemistry. And every time you change your biochemistry in a negative way, you're changing which genes are expressed, you're changing how your, your immune system operates, so you are physically changing your health by, by mentally picking on the wrong things instead of looking out for the positive. That leads to the exact uh Topic I wanted to move on to now is what if you've said that uh, what you believe about your health is a very important determining factor in your propensity for disease or conversely, good health. So what you're saying is we can talk ourselves into it. Well, you know, what scientists are now realizing, Eric, is that what you believe and what you focus on is what changes your health. In fact, scientists are now starting to say that it may be the most important factor in our health. So let me give you one very small example. You've been for an eye exam, haven't you? Yes. How does that eye chart go? It starts off with those big letters and then yeah. it's smaller, you right? You start to squint as you go down, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what does that tell you is going to happen as you progress down the eye chart? It tells you that you're going to need glasses if you can't read the bottom line. Exactly. And, it, you know, the belief is that my eyesight is going to get worse as the letters get smaller, right? Mm, mm. Yes. But the interesting thing is that when Dr. Ellen Langer and her team at Harvard University reverse the chart and your belief is, oh, I'm going to be able to read better as I progress up. So in other words, you start with the very small letters. People can read much quicker and they can read a line that they weren't able to read when, it, when their belief was, my eyesight's getting worse. Gosh, Interesting. All right, so we can we can put positive thoughts in, or we can put negative thoughts in. Uh, and as I was saying earlier, when I was promoing the show, saying that we, it's, it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. I think I'm getting sick. I think I'm getting a disease, and then you yes. get it, and you say, "Well, look, I told you I was getting it." <laughs> exactly. You know, I was just thinking on the plane ride coming over here. There was a young child who clearly, you know, had the sniffles and the flu, and I could see passengers around him getting really irritated as he sneezed and coughed. And I said to the one gentleman sitting next to me, um, you look annoyed. And he said, why are they bringing that kid on the plane? I'm going to get sick. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, it's so interesting because, and I, I may have mentioned this little bit of research when I was on last time, but I honestly can't remember. So forgive me, listeners, if I... It was, it was a long time ago. Say it again. It was. Mm. Um, but what they did was they took two groups of people, and the first group of people they gave a movie to watch that would evoke the um, emotion of anger, and they they measured salivary IgA. Now, salivary IgA are the antibodies that form in your mouth, which are the first line of defense against cold, flu, you know, and anything like germ like that would enter through your mouth. Okay, mm -hmm. and what they noticed was that the the production of salivary IgA completely stopped when people were in a place of anger and not only that but when they kept measuring it the production stopped for up to six hours afterwards now the other group who were in a state of compassion who watched a movie they put them in a state of compassion and empathy actually increased the production of salivary iga 
So if you're ever in that position where somebody's you know, coughing and sneezing, instead mm. of thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get sick, why are you here and getting angry? Mm. Because you stopped the production of your salivary IgA. What you need to be doing is reaching out in your thoughts and saying, gosh, they must be feeling so sick. I'm so sorry that they're feeling this way. And I'm it's so happy that I'm terrible. feeling well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that I have a body that protects me against getting illness. Yes, yes. All right, let's take some other SMSs here. Um, morning, Errol. The idea is to die young as late as possible from Mark Woodhead. To oh, die absolutely, young Mark. As I late love as, that. To die young as late as possible. Yeah, okay. So in other words, you're keeping the positive thoughts going. You, you're keeping young in body and mind, uh, but you're holding on to that as long as you possibly can. It's very good, yeah. Yes, um, and did I share with you the research um, that was done by Dr. Ellen Langer in a Petersburg monastery with men who were in their late 70s and 80s last year, last time I spoke to you? don't remember, but let's do it again. Yeah, this is such a fascinating bit of research. So what Dr. Ellen Langer did was she went to um, an assisted living center and she recruited men who were in their late 70s and early 80s. And if you read a book called Counterclockwise, which is a phenomenal read. She talks about how surprised she was when she was recruiting these men that the the adult children really kind of answered for them. So they were so dependent on people doing things for them. Their meals were brought to them. You know, TV shows were selected for them to watch. They, they had very little say in what went on in their surroundings. And so what she, but she, yeah, so she noticed how dependent they were. And what her and her team did was they took an old monastery in Petersburg and they retrofitted it 20 years earlier. So this research was done in 1979. And what they did was they retrofitted this monastery as if it was 1959. So... They, you know, researched the music of the time, Nat King Cole and all of that kind of stuff. They looked at which books were out in 1959 and they stocked the bookshelves with that. They got magazines from that era. The decor was done in that era. And she said that they asked people to write a resume as if they were 20 years younger and to include a picture of themselves when they were 20 years younger. And when they got to this monastery, they were told that they were to live as if they were 20 years younger. Mm. And she said it was absolutely amazing. When she got to, when they pulled up in the bus to this monastery, all of her students went off to go and do stuff. And she suddenly realized how she was with these men with their luggage. And she didn't know how they were going to get their luggage to their rooms because there were no bellboys. And she said she suddenly just had this little brainwave and said, okay, everyone has to get their luggage to their room. And, you, you know, if you can't carry your cases, because, of course, they all started, we haven't carried a case in 10 years. And she said, you know, you can even unpack it and do it item by item if that's mm. what it takes. Mm. But without fail, all of them managed to get that their luggage it. to their rooms. After two days, they were getting up and helping themselves to food and actually washing dishes and helping each other. And she said by the end of the week, one week, um, they were even playing a spontaneous soccer soccer game as they waited for the bus to take them away from this uh, monastery. Mm. Now, before they went in, they'd taken things like skin fold thickness. They'd measured the length of their digits, their, high, their um, eyesight, their hearing. Uh, they'd taken something like 20 biological measures of aging. And after just one week, some of their measures had reduced by 25 years. Good grief. 
So, you know, this idea that we can live well and die young but still living well Mm. is Mm. in the control of, you know, not just what we think but also environmental cues because what those people did was they literally reversed their aging. Interesting. All right. So we're talking, if you just joined us, uh, listeners, we're talking to Carrie Corbett-Owen. She's a clinical psychologist and author and filmmaker. And we're talking about the brain and talking about how the brain impacts on our lives and uh, how we perform and or, or don't perform, depending on what we think. So SMS is here. Morning, Errol. A friend advised me on my 57th birthday, when you wake up in the morning without pain, you might be dead. So pinch yourself or ask your wife next to you to confirm if you are indeed alive. That's from Kinasi Modisani in Soweto. Uh, and let's not forget the importance of humor. Yes. You know, humor when it comes to health is it definitely a health measure. Yes. So, you know, look for the little things that you can find funny. And, you know, recruit people to help you laugh at things. We're so serious, aren't we? Yes, Which, we are. Everything's like, and you know, it's such a mission. If you're honestly alone this Christmas and you can't think of anything else to do, yes. make sure you've hired a few funny movies, things <laughs> that you would find funny. <laughs> Mr. Bean. Yes, laugh. Um, yes. Somebody says, I am already, oh, this is from Jeannie, I like this, I'm already inside a, a reserve in Moraleta, Moraleta Park. This is such a good place to get food for my soul. I volunteer to work and care for nature. There are so mm-hmm. many older, lonely people that can do what I do, work together in the reserve and green spaces around them. My life is so good from Jeannie. Well done, Jeannie. That's and Jenny, you know, just to reiterate what you said, there's really solid research to show that just having a view onto nature from a hospital bed heals yes. people faster than people don't who don't have a view on nature. And nature is incredibly healing. Yes. Uh, then somebody says, I wish our taxi drivers, relating to what you were talking about, the <laughs> test with the taxi drivers, I wish our taxi drivers were subject to such stringent, stringent tests, including respecting the rules of the road. The tests yeah. are conducted by a special division of the London Metropolitan Police. You know, piggybacking on, on, on what yeah. you were saying. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with her, having yeah. driven here just for a day. <laughs> it's, it's insane. It's insane. Uh, then somebody says, wonderful show substantiated by good research. Thank you very much. Uh, sometimes changing one's attitude and habits are impossible to change, even with science or religion. One must then change or leave the environment or God. Is that right? Is that cynical? Well, you know, one of the things I want to say about sometimes, just the thought that sometimes things are impossible if that's how you start the belief, then you're probably right. And so, you know, maybe maybe we've just got to remember that in Nicole's place, she might she might just change that to, with God's grace, all things are possible, and just start the sentence with that instead of, you know, it, it's sometimes impossible. It's very hard, though, isn't it? If you have an attitude towards people, if you as a child, for example, have been abused, um, bullied, ignored, it's kind of hard to change your attitude as you go through life later that people are okay and there are some good people out there. Yeah, you know, Eric, that is absolutely, I mean, that is a fact. And, and here's the thing that we need to remember, and this is just such a fascinating bit of research that I want to share with you. <clears throat> and when I read this research, you, do you know when you have one of those life-defining moments where you know your life is never going to be the same again? Yes. This research did that for me. 
So they, what they did was they took kittens from the same litter and they put them into two groups. And in the one group, everything in their life was vertical orientated. So their cage was lined with vertical stripes. Their handlers fed them wearing vertical T-shirts, etc. And in the other cage, everything was lined with horizontal stripes. And what they discovered when they let them out into the real world years later is that those kittens that had only been exposed to vertical stripes couldn't see tabletops and chair tops, for example, because they hadn't developed the neural wiring to see it. And in the same way, the kittens that had only been exposed to horizontal kept bumping into chair legs and table legs because they hadn't developed the neural wiring to actually even see that there were table legs there. And so when, when you've had a childhood where you've been you know, brought up, let's say, with an abusive um, person in your life, that's part of your neural wiring. But it's never impossible because of neuroplasticity. And so it's about getting back to, you know, what one thing can I tell myself over and over every day? Because if you say to yourself over and over every day, I'm safe and secure, the world loves me, everybody loves me. If you said that every single day, for example, I, I have a little mantra that I say every day and I've been saying it probably for about 20 years. And I do it like every time I stop at a traffic light, I say my little mantra. And it literally becomes knitted into the fiber of your being. Every time you say it, you're adding and changing your neural wiring. And at first you may not believe it. But if you just keep saying it, eventually you will start believing it because it becomes a part of mm. who you are. Are you going to tell us the mantra? <laughs> no, that's your, no, that's your personal thing. I wouldn't ask you. No, that's well, no, per- I, it's actually really simple. Um, I trust and allow. I live in love. I have friends everywhere. I'm kind and giving, um, and I have all, awesome, vibrant health. It's wonderful. It, yeah, you have a choice, don't you, Carrie? You could you can throw up your hands in horror and say. Look at all the stuff that's going on with me, and I'm I'm just so in so under I'm overwhelmed with all of the stuff. Or you yeah. can say, "Be that as it may, I'm going to dig myself out of this." You know, and there's so many examples Eric, of people that have done that. I mean, let's look at Oprah Winfrey, for example. You know, she had a, a terrible childhood with abuse, and you know, look at what she made of her life. So, also look for people that have been a success in life, that have had something similar mm. to you. And, you know, read about their lives, read their autobiographies, ask yourself, how did they do it? it it's because also... If we think we sorry, trapped, go on. Yeah, if we think we trapped, then mm. we are trapped. But if we say, you know what, I had a terribly abusive childhood, so did X, Y, and Z, and this is, you know, I'm looking for how I can change this, rather than just keeping ourselves thinking those same things over and over... Then we open a path to freedom instead of keeping ourselves trapped. It's also, isn't it, about uh, friends, support groups, um, and not surrounding yourselves with toxic people because there are there are a lot of toxic people, and and they have they impact on the way you think, the way you behave, uh, the way you react to things, and and to try and avoid toxic people and surround yourself with positive people. You know, it's, it's always important to be surrounded by positive people. And when you can't do that, it's even more important to be able to 
not get into a world about what people say and to you know have your little mantra that you say to yourself and to sort of slowly but surely kind of wean yourself of those conversations because very often we're the ones keeping it alive by bringing up the topic over and over and you know what we've got to ask ourselves is what is my small individual payoff that i get for staying in a victim role because you would not stay there if you weren't getting something out of it and i know that that may sound harsh to people listening and you say you know i'm choosing this We we really are choosing it we're choosing to keep it alive unless we take an alternative path where we develop those habits of thought they change our attitudes. Oh. It's all about strength of character as well, isn't it? Uh, you have a choice. You either, as I say, you either wallow in it or you decide to make a change. Uh, but you yeah, need, you need, you need positivity, don't you? You need to think. You need to think hard about these things. Well, you know, I think you need to say to yourself, "What do I want out of life?" And if your thoughts don't support what you want out of life then you need to start changing how, how you think right. because how you think will lead to your life. And so, you know, say to yourself, what is it that I want out of life? Okay, this is what I want. And then almost as if you were in a field, a big field, with a, a giant tree that you were heading towards, sort of line up small little objects in front of that giant tree and keep, you know, keep them in line. So, you know, okay, everything that I'm doing right now, is that supporting a life I want? Or is that leading to keeping me trapped? So the conversation I'm having right now with this person, is this freeing me or is this keeping me in the same old, same old trap? Uh, I've got a, a lovely SMS here from um, somebody who says, how must I handle my husband's family who feels very negative about me? I expressed my unhappiness about it to another family member who went and told them. Now, now I'm more of an outcast. It hurts so much. I don't know how to, how to, what to, I don't know how to handle this and a dread Christmas with them. Yes, and you know, I think this is so common. I think that, you know, we often have these family dynamics. And I know that this is the most difficult advice that I'm going to give. But kill them with kindness. You know, you can always find something that you like about people. And if you're very specific and you keep, I, I like to think of almost putting on a different color row, you know, color of glasses and say, okay, I'm going to put on different glasses and I'm going to actively seek for something that I like somebody doing. And then I'm going to comment on that very specifically. So even if it's as simple as, gosh, Marjorie, you know, you've got such good tasting clothing. I love that dress you're wearing today. So it needs to be something genuine you know, something that mm, you're not mm, making up. Mm. But that person will then be sitting with a little thought, gosh, you know, <laughs> uh, yes. maybe this isn't, you know, maybe what I heard isn't true. And if you just focus that way and yes. um, you, you comment on a few things, very soon you'll be building great relationships and you'll be starting to overlook the things that once annoyed you. The, the the key there also that you said is being sincere about it, actually believing it. Otherwise, you'll they'll see right through you as being a complete fraud. You're just trying exactly. to build bridges, you know. Interesting. Fascinating stuff. I've got an SMS from somebody who says, fishing is the answer to all life's problems. The bigger the, <laughs> the, bigger the problems, the longer the trip. <laughs> um, that, is, that is so true. And then, hi, I'm Manny. I'm now 61, and I and I feel and think like 22 years old. Good oh, for you, Manny. Oh, and you know what Manny. Manny's got? Yeah. 
Manning is what I call wisdom age because our biological age is much less important than our wisdom age. Wisdom age. I've never heard that. that that's uh, what? Life experience? That's how you think about things? You know, I think it's a combination of how you think about things, your habits of thought, and not necessarily just buying into societal beliefs that keep us trapped into believing that we necessarily have to age a certain way. Because, you know, if you look at the counterclockwise um, experiment that I told you about earlier with those men, we literally can change our biology and how that ages by the thoughts that we have and the activities that we engage in. Hmm. Um, SMS, so many positive SMSs coming in, Carrie. For example, SIPA says, um, Errol, there is a need to teach and reach bigger audiences in South Africa with such positive messages. Leaders from President are not inspiring SA at the moment. <laughs> nice one, SIPA. That's, that's good. That means uh, they're f- finding some possible change. All right, um, let's just have a look at. Oh, wait, let me take this. Does daydreaming also have an effect, somebody says? You know, what we have to realize is that everything has an effect. And daydreaming, in a way, is part of what would come, come into the category of um, visual imagery. And they've done some fascinating studies with um, people who have been injured, like um, top sports people. And what they've done is they've had them, for example, basketball players, actually visualize, so they, they're physically impaired while they're healing, but they've had them visualize playing this fantastic game and, you know, getting all those um, shots in. And when they come back, they are actually as sharp as they were and not having actually physically done the exercises. Okay. Okay. Um, Somebody wants to know about prayer. Prayer helps in a positive thinking. Sorry, start again. Prayer helps in positive thinking and living a productive, stress-free and pain-free day. Now, is that is that a religious necessarily only a religious thing? Uh, because there are many people who aren't religious and who are com- don't believe in any God at all. Um, so is the prayer thing that it's saying to yourself things can be better, or is it only in terms of a religious connotation? You know, Eric, I think there are two parts. Errol, to this by the way. Uh, Errol, <laughs> um, sorry. You know, there are two parts to this question, and the, the one is that you know. People that feel they have a relationship with a higher power, whatever that higher power might be, um, definitely have more longevity than people who don't have some kind of faith in something. And it doesn't have to be what you know we would traditionally think of as God. It just could be in you know faith that the world is an okay place, for mm. example. Mm. But there is you know there is research that shows that the power of prayer is very healing, for example. So if you've got a lot of people that are praying for you to get better from an operation, that definitely does help. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, Earl, but if you go onto my YouTube channel, I actually put a little video on there called Let's Start a Peace Movement, and it's got some fascinating, fascinating research and thoughts about the power of prayer and about positive energy, because positive energy doesn't, in fact, all energy doesn't just stay inside our skin. It goes out into the world and affects it in very material ways that is that is scientifically measurable. So if people go and watch that little clip on my YouTube channel, they will, they'll actually see the whole argument laid out. 
Give us that uh, the reference again. Um, it's just Carrie Corbett Owen. If they just Google my name, YouTube, and Peace Movement. Peace Movement, okay. And, and it's Carrie, C-A-R-I, and then Corbett hyphen Owen, C-O-R-B-E-T uh, hyphen Owen. Okay, that's all right. That's great. Thank you. There's loads of SMS. I want to ask you so many more questions, but now we're inundated with SMSs. We must take uh, as many of these as we can because, you know, people need to, need to know the answers. Um, somebody says, I live with a chronic autoimmune disease. Meditation, positive thoughts, and a whole lot of other things enable me to carry on, but sometimes the pain and exhaustion makes it impossible to be positive. I practice daily gratitude. I try so hard, but it's not that simple as just using positive thought. Chronic illness is my challenge, but we can never be naive, this enormous person says. So hard. makes a very important um, Mm. point, and it's really difficult to live with chronic pain. But one little tip that I want to give her that might be helpful is when you're in that place of pain, if you just quiet your mind, and she did say she does meditation, and you go into the pain, in other words, you kind of zone in on it, it's incredible what you can do to dissolve pain just by going into it and saying, I'm going into this pain as if I'm a friend coming to visit this pain and make it better. And, you know, I've I've noticed that if I have a little pain, I can, if I remember to do it, that's the difficult part. Mm. It can dissolve that pain. It's almost like by focusing in on the pain, because what we try to do is avoid the pain. But actually by focusing in on it and welcoming it as a friend that's bringing you a message, we can sometimes learn incredible things about our pain. Because... For example, if I'm in a place of pain, I want to listen much more closely to my heartbeat in that moment and get to know what my heartbeat feels about the pain. Um, I want to bypass my heart sometimes and feel, can I feel a pulse in my foot? And sometimes by focusing in on the heart or the foot or something else, we take our focus away from the pain. So it's almost like by focusing in on the pain, you can move to another place. Mm-hmm. Wow, so much It's so early in the morning uh, Roy wants to know There are more suicides at this time of year What is the reason? You know, if you look at human happiness And I believe that people who commit suicide Find themselves in an unhappy place Otherwise they wouldn't be committing suicide But if you look at it It's very often comparing what people have to what we think we would like to have. And I think it becomes more pronounced at certain times of the year where we might think, gosh, I would like to be able to buy X, Y, and Z, this gift, and I can't. And so, you know, it's about remember, it's about that comparison. But I think, you know, and this isn't the answer to all suicides, but, you know, at this time of year, particularly for anybody who is really finding themselves doing that kind of thinking, you know, that I'm hopeless and I'm useless because I can't, for example, afford gifts, I want to tell you a little Christmas story because this was our best Christmas ever. We'd had a very tough time financially. In fact, we'd had a con man take us for 85,000 rand. And so we were really skint. And so I sent a memo to the family saying, you know, unfortunately, Father Christmas has let us know that our check has bounced. 
and his elves have all gone on strike <laughs> and they're refusing to make an, you know, any gifts. But the, uh, the reindeer have all stepped up and promised that they will deliver a letter from each person in the family to every other person in the family, telling them about one thing that they appreciate about that person and offering to do one small kind deed that doesn't cost any money. And we went down that Christmas and there were just little you know, scrolls on the tree and envelopes. And for example, I made my mom and dad um, material scrolls that I had written letters to them and then decoupage pictures on. Mm. Years later, years later, I still found those scrolls in the bathroom, whereas the expensive foot spa that I had bought sat on top of the cupboard gathering dust. And so I think that sometimes we forget that, you know, our presence is a gift. Hmm. That's such a lovely story. Gosh. Thank you. Um, okay, I'm sure a lot of people will take inspiration from that. I've got to read you this. This is lovely. Hi, Errol. I agree with everything your expert, expert is saying, but to me, being healthy, lots of laughter, a good read, and music makes my day and my life. That is from Nana. Isn't that nice? Beautiful. And she's so, I mean, she's just hit the nail on the head. I think music is, um, for me, music is vital. Um, you know, I'll put on a CD or put a USB, and I'll just listen to music, put the headphones on, and whatever type of music you like, classical, jazz, rock, whatever oh. it may be, I find music is just such a, an inspiring and, and, and relaxing uh, method. You know, it just chills the brain. Yeah. Do I have time for one more story talking about music? Yes, we've got one minute left. Okay. So this was another pivotal moment in my life. I was busy. I had my heart rate monitor on because it's something I do every day. And Pandora Radio suddenly started playing. I had no idea how it started playing, but I, it, it just started playing. And it was playing an Irish jig. And I was fascinated to see immediately on the screen how my heart rate changed. And I thought, wow, look at that. I have something outside of me that's playing through me, and I can see it on the screen. So I changed the music to meditation music, and again, my heart rate completely changed the pattern. And so we must never forget that music is changing us at a biological level. It's changing how your heart is delivering oxygen to your body. It's changing when your heart rate changes. Everything in your body changes. How fascinating. So I'm right. There is a there, there is yes, a, a, a right. great th- therapy to to music, whatever it may be. Carrie, we we're out of time. Uh, just let me give listeners uh, your details. It's it's Carrie C A R I, and then the surname is Corbett C O R B E T dash Owen. Um, I know you're in Cape Town at the moment with your folks and family on holiday, but you'll be going back to the U.S. quite soon, hey? Uh, yes. But but we can get you on if they just Google you, they'll find your information on the website. Oh hey? yeah. I'm sure they will be. Corbett Owen isn't a very common um, last name. (laughs) Carrie, thank you so much. Have a wonderful Christmas. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thanks for your input. And we'll get you back again uh, sometime next year. Sounds wonderful. Thank Thank you you. so much, Ella. And to you and your listeners, blessed Christmas. Thank you. That's a wrap from Early Morning Breakfast. I don't have a phone number for Carrie Corbett-Owen. She doesn't live in the country, but uh, you can get, just Google her, C-A-R-I, and then her surname is C-O-R-B-E-T-Owen. I'm Errol Ballantyne. Thanks so much for being with me, and thanks for all the SMSs. We didn't get through them like I'd like to, but there were just so many. Uh, Thank you for joining me this morning. I've loved being in your company. Have a fantastic weekend. 
power with the books in the sevens this afternoon and tomorrow. It is six o'clock.